All right, welcome back to Eat Lunch and Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins, and with me today, I have Joe Slack. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you doing today? Well, enjoying the nice weather. I think all the cold is finally moving on. Let's hope so. So, Joe, people who are familiar with you, you are an author, a board game designer, a podcast interviewee. Um, you also have a course and a whole lot of other stuff going on with board games. Yeah, I do a little bit of everything. I uh, quit my day job about two and a half years ago to pursue this. And since then, I taught game design and development at Wilfrid Laurier for a stint at their university. And I developed my own course, the board game design course, and also the creation to publication program. I've written three books and I'm working on my fourth on game design. Um, got four games published now, self-published one of my own last year, and I'm working through the manufacturing process to get that out to backers now. So yeah, I keep pretty busy. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it. Uh, yeah. So the, the books is how I came across your name uh, a couple years ago. I've read the first two, well, I read book one and book three. Book two is focused more on pitching to publishers and so I've skimmed that one. I'm not going to lie and tell you I've read it. Um, but I have read the first and third books uh, a couple times on, on book three, which is your top 10 mistakes. So I keep referring back to that one and going, yep, oop, oop, whoop. <laughs> we, all, we all make them. I'm just trying to help others to uh, understand what they are, hopefully, so they make uh, make a few less mistakes like I have. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I was telling you before we started recording, uh, one of the biggest ones that uh, my partner and I started with was to not start out too big, pick a game that was smaller in scale so that we had we could get the feel for what was going on. And in case something went sideways, as it inevitably does, we are, have a lot less risk going on. For sure. I mean, especially if you're looking to self-publish a game, if you try to come up with, you know, the the biggest game possible with every idea under the sun that you've ever had and put it on Kickstarter and it's going to have all these miniatures and everything. You're going to get into some major costs before you're even known as a game designer or a publisher. So it's harder to kind of build up. Whereas if you start with something small, it can be a lot easier to build that momentum and, and get a fan base and, and, you know, make your mistakes small because as a lot of people say, uh, you know, if you make a, you know, $5 mistake on, you know, 500 copies of a game, well, you know, that's, that's fairly small. But if you make it on 10,000 copies of a game, that's going to be a big chunk of money. <laughs> that's a lot more than uh, anybody wants to to lose out on. I can tell you that. I'd hope so. <laughs> so, Joe, how did you get into gaming? Um, well, I've been a lifelong gamer. I mean, when I grew up, you know, playing games like Clue and Monopoly and then um, joined a, a board game club in school and, and learned Risk and, uh, and kind of went from there and then got into, you know, party games with friends and and uh, all sorts of different games. And then probably about maybe seven or eight years ago, I got introduced to some of the more modern board games. And, you know, Pandemic was probably the one that that, uh, that got me. But my wife started actually <laughs> watching Tabletop with Will Wheaton. Oh, and, great and, uh, show. Great, great, I know, fantastic series. A friend recommended it to her. And she started watching it. She's like, okay, we got to go to the game store and we got to get these six games now. I'm yes. Like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, that show was them. great for all those companies and, oh. and terrible for my pocket. I can tell my, uh, <laughs> absolutely. my, my absolutely. bank account definitely paid for it. 
Yeah. So, I mean, what happened was we went and got these games and I'm like, after, you know, dishing out almost 200 bucks, we're like, okay, I hope these games are really good because you know, they're, they're in the show. And we played them and we loved most of them a whole lot and really got into it. And Pandemic was probably the one that really opened my eyes up to say like, wow, you can make like games that are cooperative and like they have all this strategy and all this choice and all these things going on. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. And then I just kind of started playing more and more games and got into that more. And then as I was playing party games more with, with friends and that kind of thing, especially Cards Against Humanity, I was just realizing, okay, after, you know, the first couple of times, you know, it's funny, you know, something, you know, unique and, you know, make, makes you laugh. But then, you know, after you hear the same answer two or three times, it's like, okay, this, there's like no creativity here or anything. So I was like, what if I made a game that was kind of like that, but, you know, you could put in your own answers or create your own answers and that kind of thing. So that kind of was the inspiration for my first game. And then, I just love the process of doing that and then learning all about playtesting and all the different groups and forums and communities out there and just really got into it and started making more and more games. And here I am today. And now it's a switch you can't turn off. <laughs> I can't. I just, the ideas <laughs> just don't stop coming. So I yeah, can't. I had a new idea hit me. Uh, oh, I guess it's been about two weeks ago now. And I had to like text it. I was like out, out walking in the middle of, you know, the, the park next to us and, I was like, oh, I got Texas to my buddy for I forget the idea. And so it's like, man, ideas can hit you anywhere. And once you once you get that switch turned on, man, turning it off is next to impossible. <laughs> I agree. But it, it's it's a good thing when you do write down those ideas, because quite often, you know, they'll be gone by the time you get home. Well, what was that? Or you completely forget. But, you know, you're not always going to be able to sit down and work on that idea right now. And especially if you already have five or six games on the go, it's not always the best idea to keep starting a new thing because you'll never get the previous ones finished, but it's always <laughs> good to document it and be like, oh, this is a cool idea. And then you're going to come back to it. And then when you get a little bit more free time, you can look back in that list and be like, oh, that was such a cool idea. That's the one I want to work on next. Absolutely. So what is your current favorite game? If I came to your house, which obviously we'll have to wait till post pandemic, what game is sitting out on your table? One game. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, okay. You and, can have yeah. multiple tables. So that's okay. <laughs> multiple well, it's, I'd say there, there's, there's two tables going on. It's <laughs> one if I'm playing solo and that would probably be Maki right now. Fantastic little worker placement game that I absolutely love. And for one that's had for more than one person, I would say probably right now, um, my wife and I have really been loving um, Azul Summer Pavilion. We've been playing that a lot. And then if we're playing with the whole family, right now it would have to be Spyfall because it's one my my son has really uh, gotten into. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun one. Yeah. Especially with all those, not so much expansions as much as just re-themes and you can kind of just switch the decks out and have a have a good time. Oh yeah, there's so many different options for for all the different places you could be, you know, like hiding out. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's hard to remember all of them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so before we go much further, the Settlers of what? How do you pronounce that game? <laughs> Catan. Oh, That's man. Good. I know. I'm evil. Oh, man. It must be it must be a Canadian thing because uh, that's what uh, the last uh, Katie said, too. I'm like, man, that's that's. It's not right. <laughs> Sorry, I actually don't play it very much. I've only actually ever played it once, and I was kind of oh, wow. like, "Yeah, it, it's it's all right." But you know, I had so many other games, you know, on my shelf that I would be like, "I think I'd probably play that more." So you know, played it with a friend and wanted that experience to play it, but uh, not 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 my favorite. To oh, be honest, man. my copy's warped beyond belief. <laughs> it's been played well over two hundred times. Oh, I can believe it. Uh, I yeah. mean, there's so many people that are huge, huge fans, and all the tournaments going on, all the conventions, and everything. I oh, yeah. Totally 
Yeah, it's actually what started the whole lunchtime thing at my office was playing Catan. So uh, back before you were doing this full time, did you uh, have a lunchtime board game group at your job? I did. And it was it was a pretty great group. Um, I started it uh, with with a small group of people. I just kind of reached out and said, hey, you know, we're all working so hard all the time. Why don't we take like one day a week and play some board games? Who's in kind of thing? And I had a few people reach out to me and said, yeah, yeah that sounds cool. So. We started doing it like every Monday and, you know, start off small, maybe a few people show up and then we start having some, some groups as big as, you know, six, seven, maybe eight people even showing up some weeks. So it uh, really got going. We played once a week, some occasionally we play a little more if, you know, on a Friday we were like, yeah, let's just break something out. And uh, it was, it was a ton of fun. And what kind of games uh, were you playing then? Uh, a good variety. We had to keep them, you know, within an hour and you know, some people wouldn't be there for the whole time. So uh, we had to respect, you know, the limited amount of time. But a couple of the ones that that really resonated with people that they really enjoyed um, for kind of the shorter games were um, the Resistance and For Sale. I'm familiar with res- I'm familiar with Resistance. That's one of the like the coup mm-hmm. uh, indie boards and cards. Um, for Sale, I'm I know the name, but I can't think of the game. Yeah, it's a small card game. It plays in maybe 15, 20 minutes or so. And all it is, is it's, it's basically two sets of rounds. Uh, the first round, you are buying up properties. And there's a, some really cool auction and bidding mechanics in there. And, and then you use your properties in the second round and sell them off for the, the highest amount. And it's kind of like a, a blind sale for the amounts that are being offered. So it's it's a lot of fun. And the game's always different every time. And um, it, it's very simple and easy to teach. And almost everybody that you show it to is just is just just loves the game. Well, I definitely wrote it down. I will definitely be looking into that one. So I love things that you can play in 15, 20 minutes because you can get a couple rounds in per lunch hour. Oh, yeah. We'd usually get two or three rounds in at least. And, uh, you know, the days we were feeling uh, like we were going to play something maybe a little longer um, that would take up, you know, most of the hour, we'd commit to getting there like right on time, you know, everybody (laughs) with their lunch and everything would be um, Century Spice Road was was a favorite amongst the group. Absolutely. uh, and another one uh, that we really enjoyed, but often went a little over 60 minutes, especially if we tried to push it to, you know, five players would be Machi Koro. That's because you guys you got to get to that airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it, would, it would be crazy. We'd always be at like just over an hour. We'd be like, hey, we got to wrap up. And somebody would be like, I'm so close to winning. And, you know, we would just keep keep playing, you know, an extra five, ten minutes trying to squeeze it in. Try, trying to figure out a way. Just if I could just get that seven, this is all over. Yeah, yeah no, And I, I mean, that box, I think, has to be one of the biggest liars in the world because if I'm not mistaken, I think it says 30 minutes on the box. And I think I've been able to play that game like twice within 30 minutes. And it was when it was only, you know, me and my wife. So just two player much quicker. And we were just like going, going, going. Cause we'd played it so many times before, but four or five people, like no way it's going to be an hour at least. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we, we played it a, a handful of times at work. Um, my box, I have the deluxe edition and that, that 10 and man, that 10 is just beat to death. I don't even <laughs> know if my lid fits place. on it anymore. <laughs> but that's a good one. Um, but yeah, I do agree. Once you get it up over about, you know, three is really a good sweet spot for that game. Um, four, the red cards really start to to hurt you and slow the game down. Like you're saying, you get to five, you got all those red cards out there and every number you roll is bad and you're paying out a bunch of people and it, it can slow the game down. Yeah, it does get interesting, though, because it does really um, sway the dynamics of the game a little bit because, you know, there are cards that impact only when you roll, um, which are really good when there's fewer players because it's going to come around more. 
There's ones that impact when anybody rolls. So that's really good when you got a big crowd of people. And also the red cards, like you said, that, you know, when anybody else rolls those, those are the ones you want to pick up when you're playing with four or five players. When you're playing with two, they're not quite as effective because there's only one other person you can get the money from. But uh, yeah, it kind of changes your strategy based on the player count, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because like I said, when you play with all of them, you know, like the both the expansions to it, there's pretty much a red number for every or a red card for every number. And it's just a matter of can you roll enough on the blue or green cards to to net a profit that that turn? Yeah, for sure. So I guess we call that your uh, go to for 60 minute game. But what would be your go to 30 minute game? I think it would be uh, For Sale or The Resistance. Those were ones that uh, like the group just really loved and we, we broke out many, many times. But also the thing I found after I got the group together and we started playing these these games was, you know, I was also a game designer and, you know, I thought, you know, this is a, a great group to test some prototype <laughs> too. So, I mean, absolutely. Right? So um, if you're a game designer, this is a great approach if you have a day job where you're, you know, absolutely. So I would, I would, you know, just to introduce them, I just say, you know, I, I brought some, some other games, you know, I brought, you know, for sale and matchy core or whatever, but I also brought, you know, what game I'm working on. Would you guys be willing to give it a try? And they'd always be like, yeah, of course. They're like, oh yeah, we forgot you design games. So, you know, break it out and get some play testing in. And, um, at least three of the games that I've published now, um, did, I had quite a number of play tests with them. Um, my game King of Indecision, I played with the group many times. Relics of Rajvahara, I tested some levels with the group and, uh, Forward thinking was another uh, favorite that people people really like. So it's a great opportunity to get you know play testing in you know weekly on a game or two, especially if it's a shorter one that they don't mind playing. And then you can play you know another short published game as well. No, I, it's what we do too. Uh, the poor we call them our un you know our willing but unwilling kind of no choice play testers. You know, <laughs> it's like hey, we got this new idea. We need to test out if the if the theory the mechanics are sound. What's the game called? We don't know. What's the goal? We're not really sure yet. <laughs> That's what figure out. We're just trying to see, does this even make sense? But yeah, when we did Fences, uh, that was a big game. We tested a lot um, at work. It started off as a started off as a stained glass window game. And when we put it together and we played it one time with those tiles, we were like, nope, nope, nope that hurt my eyeballs and we immediately went back to the drawing board and rethemed it with farming theme that we've used. And then we went back and tested it. And again, we had a whole bunch like, you know, this doesn't work. That doesn't work. But yeah, a good group of people that we would do it at lunch hour. We'd stay after work for, you know, an hour or whatever. Cause the game plays in 40 minutes or so. So we would play multiple player accounts. Cause like you were saying earlier, you got to make sure that the game plays well at all the player accounts. Even if it does change your strategy, you still want to make sure that with three players and four players, it plays just as smooth as it does with two and, and vice versa. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and a good thing with the, uh, the prototypes too, is, I mean, if you're, if you're going to introduce a group like that, um, if they've never done play testing before, probably for the first one you want to introduce them to, you might want to take a game that's a little closer to being finished, a little more polished so they can kind of get the feel of it and just say, you know, I'm just working out the kinks and stuff and we'd love your feedback kind of thing rather than bringing them, you know, the very first time bringing them. Yeah, this is something, you know, we just put together in, you know, napkins and some paper clips and stuff like that. And let's just kind of figure this out. Like that might just be a little too much for the, like, oh, this doesn't look, even look like a game yet. So they can kind of, kind of ease them into that. No, no, I'm the paper clip. You're the alligator clip. <laughs> you saw the difference? Come on. 
So what would be one of your favorite hidden gem games that you play that maybe a lot of people don't know about? Oh, I probably have a few in my collection. Um, I'd say one one that I enjoy quite a bit, uh, which is a very simple game, but but I, I love it, is Karuba. And not a lot of people necessarily know this one that well, but um, I love games where there's simultaneous play, where uh, especially where you you know, you draw a card or, or something is revealed and everybody has to use that same component, but, you know, they have their own board and it might be a different way of doing it. And by the end of the game, you see, you know, everybody's created a different path and, you know, they've sent their adventurers on, you know, different paths and scored differently. And, and it's, it's amazing to see because everybody's got the exact same thing at the exact same time, but everybody's mind works differently as, as to how to most efficiently put that together or, or how to strategically work. Interesting. I like simultaneous play games. They're kind of, they're few and far between, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And then what would be a guilty pleasure game? Guilty pleasure? Um, That one's kind of hard to say, but I don't know if it'd be considered a guilty pleasure or not, but I mean, I still enjoy a good game of Boggle once in a while. I know it's a, an older word game, but it's it's just a lot of fun. It, it, it just, you know, really trains your brain to look for patterns and uh, and come up with things and it's it's always fun to try to come up with you know more words and more um, long words that other people can't get and that kind of thing so you know we break that out once in a while and it's a lot of fun still <laughs> plus the sound at the beginning of the game <laughs> just don't play it when you know your children have just gone to bed because that, <laughs> like, by shaking that cue we're, we're always saying like maybe we should put some padding on the inside or something like that just the kind of, i mean yeah but that kind of defeats the you know you, you would miss that sound you would. You totally would. Yeah. It's, it's part of the game. It's, it's part of the <laughs> Whether you like it or not, that's part of the game. So when it comes to Kickstarter, um, are you a backer, a creator, or both? I'm definitely both. I've you know backed a, quite a few number of games supporting you know people I know and other great games out there. And uh, I've, I've launched two games on Kickstarter myself. Uh, my last one, Relics of Rajvahar, did quite well um, last summer. And I'm planning on launching an expansion for that uh, once the games have been delivered and everybody's got their copies and uh, continuing with that probably a game or two every year beyond that. Well, good. I'm glad to hear you putting out an expansion. I missed Relics when it was on Kickstarter, so... Well, don't worry. The uh, the expansion will come with an opportunity to uh, buy uh, the base game as well because I'll be kind of a reprint and expansion at the same time for anybody that missed out of the previous campaign. Absolutely, and I'll be... Uh, I'll, I'll definitely grab it then. Um, but yeah, so you got a fourth book coming out. Uh, your first one was the board game designer's guide, the easy, I like how you said easy four step process to creating an amazing game that people can't stop playing. I read the book. I've created a game. I don't know if I would say it's easy, but (laughs) you know, well, yeah, it's 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 a little bit in the wording there. It's, it's more that uh, not that it's easy to create a game because you know it's not necessarily easy to create one, but um, it's easy to follow the steps. If you know kind of what the steps are, then it's just kind of wash, rinse, repeat. You just you know kind of do those steps over and over again. So once you know them, doing doing the process, understanding what the steps are, that's the easy part. Creating the game might be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, it was a good book. I did enjoy it. Uh, that was one I read. Oh, I'm trying to think if I read it, I think pretty much during our first campaign, I was like, whoops, should have read this first. 
No, <laughs> we, we all do that. There's, you know, all of the Stegmeyer's blogs and James Matthews blogs and all the podcasts and everything else. There's, there's so much information. So you, you can't necessarily um, discover everything beforehand and you're, you're, you're going to have those oops, oops moments for sure. Yeah. You can only do so much. And then your second book was about pitching to publishers. And like I said, I, I've uh, only skimmed that one, but I'm going to go back and try to give it a, a full read this time. And then the last one was the top 10 mistakes that new board gamers make and uh, or board game designers make. And that's a great list. Of, like I said, the starting out too big is definitely one that we experienced and we saw, thank goodness, and made a change before we went down the, the wrong path. Well, some of the other ones on there are, are really good. Like the not taking feedback. Well, I'm a part of a group here in St. Louis where we used to meet up once or twice a month, big group design group here and great group of guys and designers. And they are really good about giving feedback and taking feedback, but I've play tested at conventions and stuff where they did not do a very good job taking feedback. Yeah. They, they get more defensive than anything. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough thing to do because, you know, you're, you're bringing your baby. You've put so much time and effort, especially if, you know, you've gotten really good feedback up to a point, you know, especially if you've only played it with, you know, friends and family who, you know, will say everything that you <laughs> you do is good uh, and or, or you know, you just have a good, really good feeling about the game and then you put it in front of somebody else and, or another group and, you know, they they tear it apart or they have, you know, some certain thoughts on it that you don't necessarily agree with. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not necessarily that you have to take everything that they're suggesting and, you know, put that in their game because you know, it, could, it could change the game completely. And, and somebody's opinion could be contradictory to somebody else's, but it's just about really taking that feedback, you know, being thankful for people, you know, taking the time to play your game and being open to giving you that feedback. Because if, if you get really dis defensive or aren't willing to listen, that kind of thing, people are going to close down and they're not going to tell you the rest of the things that, you know, could make your game better. It's all, it's all about making your game better. It's, you can't take it defensively. You can't take it personally. It's not about you. It's not about you being a terrible person or a terrible game designer. It's just about, um, they're trying to give you feedback to make the game even better, which I mean, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Right. It's all about trying to make the game better, not, not change you or change your opinion. It's just make your game better, make your game what it could be so that it's, a success. Yeah. Um, one of my other favorite ones on there was afraid to share. Oh. Uh, that's one I, I don't have any problems with. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind sharing anything and everything when it comes to my board games, but I have run across people that like, again, at conventions that, you know, they don't want you to talk about their game after you leave their table. And it's like, you want people to talk about your game. <laughs> That's how you build a reputation. Yeah. That's how you build a following and everything. Like, especially if you're going to self-publish. Oh my goodness. I mean, maybe not as important if you're um, going to a, to a publisher, but if you can go to a publisher and you can say, yeah, all these people are like lining up to buy the game. They're just waiting for it. Like that's, you know, an extra incentive for them too. As well. Right. I just think they're, you know, well, I'm just afraid Hasbro is going to steal my idea. Man, Hasbro doesn't need to steal your idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, it's so true there's and and i mean i i suffered the same thing at, at first you know i played the game my first game in front of 
you know, friends and that kind of thing. But, you know, I was always kind of worried, oh, this, you know, this is the greatest idea ever. You know, I can't have somebody else take this. What if they take this and do something with it? Well, I mean, the more you talk about it, the more you document it, the more you put it out there, the more paper trail or the more evidence you're having as well that, you know, this is your idea that you came out with this first. But the other thing is, you know, especially if you're in an early stage, an idea is just an idea. It's, it's really in the execution. Cause I mean, you could say I've got a game idea about fishing and you could take that, tell that to 10 designers and, and say, go make a game about fishing. And you'll come back with 10 completely different designs. I mean, the idea is one thing, but it's, it's the execution of the game and uh, you have to be willing to put it in front of other people and get their feedback to get it better. That's the only way you're going to do it. And, you know, build that following and, and get interested in your game. I mean, otherwise you, you can't, create a game in a vacuum all by yourself it might play perfectly to you but nobody else is going to feel that way probably i I always also like the feeling of you have this idea and you start writing it down and then all of a sudden somebody else not that it's already out there but that somebody else rolls it out first Uh, that happened i was working on an idea that struck me about playing a game with a metronome Mm. and every player has their own metronome and you can speed it up and slow it down. And that's how when you can take moves or so often. And I'm like, okay, so how can we work with speed of play based on, you know, based on the metronome? And then Stonemaier Games comes out with Pendulum. pendulum. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and I was like, well, guess uh, we'll put this game idea on the back burner and see what we come up with. You know, we'll revisit this one later. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're that, that game idea of yours it has to die. I mean, it's, it's going to sit on the shelf, but maybe you'll come up with something, you know, that that's unique that makes it different than that. that. That's the thing I would say, like a lot of people will come up with an idea and they start working on it. And then they're like, Oh, this game already exists or, Oh, this Kickstarter, you know, just came out today. And guess what? It's my game. Um, and the, the thing about that is, well, it doesn't mean you have to throw it away. You can, you can look at it and, you know, take it in a different direction. Look at what they did with the game. See if there's anything different about it. Um, try to spawn off something different. Try to say, okay, well, let's take this one angle on it and just go really, you know, really hardcore in this way. Um, try to make it different. I mean, there are going to be some cases where you're just like, no, nah, it's, it's just too close. And I've, I've done that too. I, I created a game. <laughs> it was all about storage wars and it was like exactly like the show. And I was like, wow, maybe I can like pitch this to A&E. And then a friend of mine is like, oh yeah, I guess what I just found at like a thrift store. A&E's game storage. <laughs> like, man, I should have done my research better on that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful I didn't spend like tons and tons of hours on it. I, you know, it's still at fairly early stage, but it was like identical. I'm like, well, this one, it just can't work. Like it's already taken and it's a license. And so forget that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go back to the drawing board. No, I, I just like, um, but then I guess at the same time when I saw a pigeon, I'm like, man, I knew my idea was good. <laughs> I mean, it's a validation, right? Yeah. I was like, man, it was a good idea. I'm just, you know, a couple couple months or years i guess a uh, little late to it but you know we we got another idea going using sand timer so we'll see what we come up with cool i mean it's, it's it's all a matter of like parallel design i mean no matter what you think of you know whatever idea that you have right now there could be somebody else in the world or multiple people out, out there in the world who have that exact same idea or who have already been working on something similar and you know n- no thievery going on it's just you've had the same idea as somebody else and it's just a matter of, you know, maybe who comes out with it first or who develops it fully or who doesn't give up on it. And that'll be the first one that kind of comes out in public. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, there, there's only so many ideas and combinations of ideas, you know, you're bound to run into some things that have, have already been done or that somebody else has come up with. It's 
all about your it's all about your angle, your take on it, and then maybe a, even a pivot off of it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if if that particular game did really well, then that shows that maybe there's a market for something else like this. If there's nothing else like that, I mean, you can think of something like uh, Carcassonne. So I, I don't know if that was you know the original tile layer, but you know was one that you know made it really popular. But you know there have been other tile tile laying games since then. Like it, it doesn't mean, or, or deck building dominion came out. Well, okay. That's a brand new thing, deck building and look how far it's gone now. It, it doesn't mean that just cause an idea is done once it's done. You, you can take that and evolve it into something completely different. So fences, our game is a tile lane game. And that's kind of the problem we always run into is they're like, it's just Carcassonne. I'm like, if you say that, that every game's already been created, mm-hmm. you got to come up with a whole fresh new mechanic and idea. Our game is a tile lane game but it's not Carcassonne. And like you said, with Dominion being the original deck builder, I mean, look at Clank. It's a deck builder that you're building a deck, but you're running a guy through a dungeon trying to collect treasure has no look or feel really at all of Dominion. Yeah. And the thing is, um, Clank probably wouldn't have existed if it weren't for Dominion. Star right. Realms probably wouldn't have existed without Dominion. Uh, it, it's one it's of my called... favorite two-player games. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a base idea has to come out first. Um, if somebody were to come out with Clank, you know, maybe it would be too much because you know you got too many moving parts and this new thing and and everything. But you know, that basic idea has to come out, and a lot of people nowadays would be like, "Oh, Dominion! No, there's there's a lot better games out there." But without Dominion, you know, these wouldn't exist. And um, a, a thing I like to think about with game design too is flipping ideas on their head. So, um, you know, you've got a tile laying game. Well, what about a tile destroying game? Or, you know, you got a deck building game. Well, well, has anybody thought of a deck destroying game or something like that? Like just like taking an idea and flipping it on its head and seeing what you can come up with. Oh, well, there's a thought, a deck destroying game. That's what I do with my deck when I'm done playing. <laughs> I mean, I, you could say that, you know, any game where you're trying to get rid of your cards, whether it's, you know, president or, you know, whatever the game is, Uno, um, those are kind of deck destroying games. Like you're, you're reducing your deck, um, but maybe there's something completely, completely different you can do that, you know, spins off that idea. So your fourth book told me it's about jobs within the uh, board game industry. Yeah, it's um, tentatively titled The Board Game Designer's Guide to Working in the Industry. And what I did with this one is, you know, you always hear about people, you know, wanting to get in the industry, people, you know, interested in, you know, oh, should I quit my job and do this full time? And the thing is, a lot of people, when they think about the board game industry, their focus is on being a game designer. That's like the kind of like the be all and end all or the one one position that most people think of, or maybe, maybe publisher as well. And, you know, designer can lead to becoming a publisher if you self-publish as well. But, you know, there's there's only a small number of roles that people generally think of. And I watched this talk um, from Scott Gaita from uh, Renegade Games. He did at uh, Prototeo, which is an event, local event here. And he was talking about all these other jobs in the industry. He's like, you know, you don't have to, we have plenty of game designers. Like we don't necessarily need any more of them, but there are so many other opportunities out there if you have the right skills. So if you really want to work in the game industry, there are other opportunities. And I kind of just took that idea and talked to him a little bit and said, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about writing a book. And he said, that's cool. And I just ran with it and talked to a whole bunch of people. I talked to about 40 different people in the industry <laughs> who do all sorts of different roles. And I'm trying to put that together wow. um, in a way to, to look at, um, you know, what, what's out there, what's available, what can you do? 
based on what skills that you have right now. So if you have these particular skills, you might want to think about, you know, these particular roles. So I talk to people who do graphic design, who are artists, who do rule book editing, who um, are content creators or reviewers. Like this, it just like the list is endless for all types of jobs that are either in the industry, can freelance in the industry, or are kind of on the periphery, like things like convention organizers or people who create, you know, shirts and stickers and things like that that, <laughs> that are game related. Like there's so many different things that can be related to that, that don't necessarily mean that, or sorry, that aren't necessarily, you know, game designer or publisher. Oh man, this book sounds great. Do you have, oh, I, I want it now, which I know is not possible, <laughs> but would you have a, a timeline on that yet? I'm aiming for a release by the end of April, 2021. Oh, that's not that far away. No, I can wait. I can wait a month. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so conventions, do you go to a lot of them? Um, I do try to as much as I can. I mean, travel, obviously right now, they're not <laughs> happening. Um, well, let's say in 2022, 2023, yeah. uh, will you be back out in the convention circuit? I definitely hope to. I mean, we've got some some great ones here in Toronto. We've got uh, Breakout Con, which is uh, a fantastic event that's, that's held every year. Um, Proto TO. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts of Proto Spiel North, which is a game design event uh, for where game designers from everywhere come together and just play game, play each other's games all weekend. Uh, Man, I so- was so set to go to two or three different Proto Spiels last yeah. year, and uh, nope. <laughs> it didn't happen at all. Yeah. I mean, we had to cancel ours and any other ones I wanted to attend, I couldn't go, but I, I'm, I'm a regular attendee at uh, Origins and uh, Protospiel Michigan. And, you know, I haven't been to Gen Con yet. I was supposed to go to Essen last year and, oh, the, oh. Uh, one time I was supposed to go, uh, I had a friend slash publisher slash co-designer who was running a booth and he wanted some help there. And he's like, I've got a place for you to stay. Um, you can even use your table for demos of your own game and everything. And all you got to do is get here. And I was like, okay, sold. I, I, how can I turn down that offer? I was going to, no, you know, no, you, you can't, you'd be point. absolutely crazy to turn down that offer. Yeah. But then, you know, the pandemic hit. And, you know, <laughs> like, there goes my, my chance. Oh but, man. Uh, I hope to attend some others as well. Um, Pax Unplugged was, was really good. Um, the last time, last one I went to as well, I guess that was 2019 now. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, I hope to attend some more um, when we're able to again. Yeah, I uh, we had a booth already set up and ready to go for the Geekway to the West down here in oh, yeah. St. Louis. That's our big one. And we were working together. Uh, that was the St. Louis design meetup. We had a table there, a booth, so we could demo our games and everybody else that's part of the group. And then we were working on trying to go to the one out in Kansas city. And then, like I said, I had a team ready to go. We were going to go up to the protospiel in Chicago because it, for people who don't know what the protospiel is, it's not just for game designers. You can just be a board gamer and pay like a $5 entry fee for the weekend. And then you can go around all weekend and just play test games to your heart's content. It's a really good deal. I mean, like that's way less than a movie or <laughs> and oh, yeah. or any other entertainment, right? And and you get to do it all weekend long as, as much or as little as you want. Yeah. And so a lot of the, the group that I play with at lunch, we were gonna like rent a 15 passenger van. We were gonna, you know, just and just drive up and I was gonna have a you know a booth to play test my games for bearded board games. 
and then my coworkers were just going to run rampant and play test games all weekend. And we were totally psyched to go do this. And then poof, it all vanished. <laughs> it's disappointing. Yeah. You got these plans in place. You're looking so forward to it and it doesn't happen, but yeah, the pro spiel events are, are fantastic. I mean, if you want to get a concentrated amount of play testing over the course of like three days, if, if you've got one game, you can play test with a whole bunch of different groups. And, and if you bring the materials, you can make adjustments and things on the fly. Or if you're, a prolific game designer and you have, you know, five different designs that are all ready for playtesting. You can bring them and get them all playtested over the course of a weekend. Man, that's just, that sounds like heaven. And Oh, I know. And uh, <laughs> maybe I'll get up to the one in Toronto. I, lo- I do love yeah, Toronto. Like yeah. It's a beautiful city. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone wants to reach out to you, Joe, how can they reach out to you? Uh, well, if they want to check out any uh, game design resources, if you're a game designer, you can check out the board game design, or sorry, check out boardgamedesigncourse.com. I've got uh, a weekly blog I've got up there, um, courses, books, all sorts of different materials. Um, if you want to reach out to me, uh, you can also find me on uh, Twitter at uh, crazybrdgameguy or on Instagram at uh, jslack22. <laughs> Crazy BRD guy. Crazy board game guy. I had to shorten something. I wrote that down. I'm going to definitely add you to my uh, Twitter. I just, as I was writing it down, I was like, crazy BRD guy. Excellent. (laughs) And then I'll throw in the uh, show notes, your website as well. Uh, I do get the emails for the blog. I do. I read them uh, top to bottom. Awesome. Click on some links there. It's a very, if you're a board game designer, it's definitely a good email list to get on. Joe, I would like to thank you for being on my show today. I will definitely announce when your book comes out because I oh, can't, I, like I said, I cannot wait. Um, that book sounds fantastic. Talking to 40 people, kind of like my dream. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of work, um, you know, reaching out and, and getting all that information, but it's it's totally worth it. You get, uh, you get such valuable insights. And the thing is, uh, quite a few of them, you know, have very similar um, takes on kind of advice for, for getting into it and everything. So it kind of all comes, comes together. It's nice to see there's a lot of cohesion between a lot of people's thoughts as, as well as individual thoughts about, you know, specific roles and that type of thing. Oh, I bet consistency is, uh, is nice to see every now and then. Oh yeah. And as usual, if you guys want to reach out to me, you can do it on Facebook at facebook.com slash eat lunch and board game. Or email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com. And remember, board games build bridges. Stay in tune with all things sports around Indiana and the nation with the Crash Course Podcast. Each week, we tackle the big storylines from the world of the Colts, Pacers, and the Indiana College scene, while also keeping a pulse on the nation. We record live weekly at twitch.tv slash 3C Media, and can be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can catch the Crash Course Podcast. Average Joe's Gaming is a weekly podcast brought to you by us. I'm Joe. I'm Tom. We talk about all things game-related. In this hour-long podcast, you'll discover what has arrived in the game room. Which Funko Pop Tom just could not resist. And maybe, if you're lucky, we might get around to talking about games. Might. Tune in weekly. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast formats. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. 
click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.